I'm reading 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 31 through 45. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the book, brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with, these, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Let us open in a word of prayer as we enter into God's word this morning. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may we acknowledge that you are here. You are a part of this gathering, Lord, and the words that we speak to each other that are spoken from here may they be from you. Lord, I ask that you give me the courage to speak truth and the wisdom to be gentle. Lord, we acknowledge this is your word, and we pray that it finds a place in the hearts and in the lives of those seated here today. We give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Marcus, as they would say. Uh, and the country that I was born in, that it called me a lot of names, but my name is Marcus. 
I prefer Marcus, but Marcus is okay. A lot of other names they called me, but just those couple to my face. Uh, I always remind you that what I'm going to do here in the next 30 minutes, I will be judged more strictly for. James chapter 3, verse 1, I repeat it all the time when I speak to you that the Bible says not many of us should become teachers of the word because teachers will be judged more strictly. And some, some, some translations say more harshly. God has called us preachers to speak the word of God. And as I put it in my vernacular, get on people's couches. Put my feet up on your couch with the truth. Um, if the Holy Spirit has put something on my heart during the week as I study, I will say it. Um, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it comforts. Sometimes it challenges. Most of the time it teaches. One of my favorite preachers tells a very familiar story. It's a story about our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. In the middle of the Civil War, he was unpopular. He was probably the most unpopular American president to that point and up to now because the country was at war. The war was bloody. It was brutal. Young men were losing their lives by the day. Lincoln was falling into a great depression, a state of depression. His days were discouraging and his nights were restless. As every day, horrible reports came for the deaths and the losses of young men that he had sent to war. To war. I can imagine him asking the question, is this ever going to end? Are the people ever going to favor me again? One night, he asked his aide, he said, I need to take a walk. I need to get some fresh air and let's walk. It was midweek, so he walked down to the National, to National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., back in the days when presidents could walk the streets. It was an evening service. He strolled in, found a room, found a back room to sit in so that he didn't distract distract the rest of the worshipers there, and he listened to the sermon. He stayed seated, crossed his, leg as he usually, crossed his legs as he usually did, took off his hat, and listened quietly. At the end of the sermon, his aide asked him, so what did you think? Was it good? Lincoln said, it was well prepared, the sermon he was reacting to. It was well delivered. It was sincere. It was logical. It was clear, but I thought the preacher failed. Lincoln said he failed because he did not ask of me, of us, something great. I've heard that story a few times. Many of preachers have told that story, and when I think of it, when I prepare to preach, I always think, I hope this morning when I stand here, that God uses me to challenge you to do something great in his name. I hope that at the end of this, you're able to cling even closer to God to help you accomplish something that you cannot accomplish in your own strength. I love when people note-take, but I also love when people say amens and mm-mms. The title of this morning's sermon it's remembering what God has done gives us faith in what God can do. When we remember 
what God has done. It gives us faith in what God can do. How's your memory? Some of us have incredible memories. You have the ability to recall specific conversations. You can go back to your youth and you're able to, 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 to see things from second grade, from third grade. Teachers, friends. You can remember significant events in your life. You can recall events that have shaped you positively or negatively. As I am talking, some of these memories are coming or flooding back into your recesses, both good and bad. And you can see some of them that God has used to shape you as a person. Some of those memories are triumphant. Some are sad. It should, I, should re, I don't know if I should remind you of this, but I probably haven't told you this. But as a fourth grader, I was in the spelling bee, in the geography bee. There you have it. And in fourth grade, I misspelled the word accelerator. <laughs> I've never forgotten. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is, are there answered prayers in your memory banks? Does your memory bank Give God the credit he deserves. Throughout the scriptures, God commands that his people, the people of Israel, remember. He says to them, remember when I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Remember. Remember when I fed you in the desert. Remember when I kept you warm or cooled you off when you were traveling. Remember when we walked through the Red Sea. On dry land. One of the reasons the Bible was written and the biblical record was kept was so that we could remember, so that we could remind each other of God's faithfulness. So we could remind each other of God's goodness. This morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, and you may be tempted to say, you may want to fall asleep this morning, for goodness sakes, because David and Goliath, man, I've heard that story a million times. I've heard the story before. I've heard this one. I would argue that it is hard to find someone in the Western world who does not know the story of David and Goliath. This is the story that sports announcers usually say when, when it's going to be a blowout on TV. They're trying to get you to keep watching. Oh, this is going to be a David and Goliath story. This, is, this game is going to be incredible. When we know, you know, that one team's bad, the other team's really good, and it's not going to be good, right? But the announcer is trying to get you to say, this, is gonna, this could be a David and Goliath situation here. A small team that's not expected to win shows up on the court, and we are all hoping, we keep tuned in, we are hoping for a Hollywood ending. One year, <laughs> I used to coach basketball and middle school basketball. One year, I was, I was at a new school, and we only had sixth graders on a middle school basketball team. And, you know, middle school was seventh and then eighth grade. And kids sometimes grow, right, exponentially between sixth and eighth grade, right? But we only had a sixth grade team. We were in a new league. It's a new school, right? And I'm excited to coach. And my assistant coach had a sense of humor. After we had a couple of practices, Nick looked at me and said, Marcus, I got to tell you something. We aren't tall, 
but we're slow. <laughs> See, in basketball, you're either tall and slow or short and fast. He said, we got a bunch of kids. We are short and we are slow. We were hoping for a David and Goliath moment every single game. We did not win one single game that year. I'm not even sure we won a single quarter. <laughs> it was rough on the coach. This story is familiar, David and Goliath, because we all know the little guy wins. David sticks it to Goliath, right? David is like the mom and pop store that stays in the city even though the big box stores come, right? We love stories like that. I love stories like that, right? That's why the story is so popular. But for us, Jesus followers, we want to look at it a bit deeper. Why did David have the courage to go before a giant? When no one else was willing to risk their life, why was he so confident? We look at this story from four perspectives this morning. From the armies of God, the people, that's one perspective. From, from David, that's another perspective. From Goliath, that's another perspective. And from Saul's perspective, okay? I want you in these four perspectives to find yourself in one of them. Most of us, I'll just let the cat out of the bag, like to think that we are in the seat of David. I want to challenge you this morning that remembering what God has done Gives us faith in what God can do. My man Baxley doesn't appreciate my sermon right now. <laughs> the way the story goes, the armies of, of Israel and the Philistine armies have gathered on two hills. And the middle is a valley where they would normally do battle. The armies back in those days would gather and they would agree, agree upon a time when they would work their way down to the battlefield and they would fight and see who had, who had the greater army. But the Philistines changed the rules of engagement in this battle. They changed it because they had a strength that the Israelites did not have. Instead of sending their entire army, they sent one guy. It was, he was their champion. He was undefeated. He was a man. He wasn't just a man, right? He was a big man. And when he stood up, to talk to the Israelites, he insulted them. He not only insulted them, but he insulted God. He insulted the people of God. He insulted the armies of God. And he was arrogant, and he was tall, and he could not be beaten. The fear of Goliath just run, ran through the camp of the Israelites. The, 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 the solid warriors that they were, they had not seen someone like this before. As the word spread, you don't... We don't have to fight him, do we? Probably was the question, right? We don't have to do this, do we? Do we have to go out and fight that guy? Do we have anybody amongst us that can go out there and fight that guy, right? If you remember, it, we, when we talk about Saul, when they describe, when, when the Bible describes Saul, the reason why the people wanted Saul to be their king was because he was what? He was tall. Well, he ain't tall enough, right? He's not tall enough. We don't have one person that could go for us. 
Verse 11 in the passage said, When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Hebrew word there is, the, the, the word for greatly afraid, there is, they were shattered. They were weak. Like I, used to, like I like to say, their legs were probably like noodles. They had, they had a fear that was akin to the fear that they had for God. That's how, that's how fearful they were. The people in the army were, were, were so fearful and uncertain and in need of a champion and at the mercy of their leaders in the shadow of this great giant. Let me take you back just a little bit in the book of, the book of Numbers, way back, a couple of generations before. The Israelites, when they first arrived in the land, when they first got to the land that God has promised them, God said, I need you guys to send 10 spies to go and see the people in the land. And when the spies came back, they said, you know what, folks? There are giants in that land. Goliath is the descendants of one of those people that they should have killed back then. They were afraid, all except for two, right? This is why you don't hear kids named Goliath. You hear kids named Caleb and Joshua, right? Don't get any ideas out there. Joshua and Caleb, what I'm trying to say is, Joshua and Caleb remembered what God had done for them in Egypt and through the Red Sea. They had a memory of what God can do. They were faced with a situation and they said, here we go again, another, another seemingly impossible situation. Losing to Goliath wasn't just one man's problem. If, if they sent one guy out, and the guy got killed by Goliath and he got squashed. It wasn't just that guy's problem. It was the rest of the army. It was God's people's problem. Because Goliath, they had obliged that Goliath's threats had said, if I kill the man that you send, your people will become my servants. You will serve the Philistines because you lost. So be careful who you send out here. Because if I beat them up, which I probably will, you guys are going to be our servants. I can just imagine when the word started getting out among the people, the women, the children. Goliath is a warrior. The Bible says he had been a warrior since his youth. We don't have anybody to go for us. Who do we dare send? Who do we send? Who do we send? Do you feel that way sometimes when you face an impossible situation and you need a champion? Who do you send when a situation seems impossible? Who do you send? Who do you send? When I was a boy growing up in Civil War, I was 11 years old, and the, the invading army was coming towards the capital city where I lived, and they promised that anyone with the last name Doe, which is just my name, anyone who worked for the government, which my dad did, was going was to be killed. And it was this huge Goliath in my life for months. I knew that eventually when this army took over my neighborhood, they were going to kill us. And the army that we had in our neighborhood were more interested in looting things than doing anything than fighting the war. So I knew they weren't any good. I remember. I remember those days. But you don't know what to hope for. You don't know where to turn. Those are the days that you pray like you've never prayed before. The logical choice for the people of Israel, the person that they were going to send was the tallest one that they had should have been King Saul. 
He should be the one going out there. He's the king. He's their warrior. He is tall, right? He's not as tall as Saul, but that's all we got. So can he go? Verse 31 says, pick me up in verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David had been talking to his brothers and saying, how, do we, how are we just standing here and letting this guy insult us? We should do something. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. Skip to verse 38 for me. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them on. There are a number of things happening in this passage right here really quick. Let me just help you, quote, unquote, unpack them for you. Um, as the Hebrew writer is telling this story, he's telling it in a way that he's expressing God's sovereignty, but also showing us the future that what is yet to come, right? David speaks first. Usually the person who is in power speaks first. David is a teenager speaking to a king. David is the only one in the story who, has the, the, who calls on God's name. Saul doesn't do it. The army doesn't do it. He's the, he's the only one that says, God, this man is not only offending us, but he's offending God. Everyone else has forgotten who got them this far. Fear has overcome everyone in the room, everyone in the army. And Saul, Saul, the leader of the army, does something remarkable. Saul clothes David with his armor. Usually, in ancient Near Eastern culture, the armor of a king goes to his son, the one who is next in line to be king. The next leader in this culture, men's clothing actually matters. What they wore carried authority. This is a little bit of biblical theology where I need you to stay with me, right? In the book of Genesis, if you remember the story of Joseph, Jacob's dad, Jacob, Joseph's dad, makes him a coat of many colors, right? Sometimes we get caught up in the colors of that story, but what Jacob is doing is actually abdicating his authority to his 11th son. This is what the brothers are annoyed about. They don't care about the colors, He's giving, he's giving Joseph something that the older brother should get. His brothers are upset. I want you to fast forward. Remember this motif. Fast forward to the book of Luke. When the prodigal son comes back, what does the father do? He says, go and get my best coat and put it on him. That's why the older brother is annoyed. Because he's giving kind of the inheritance, the love to the son who wasted everything. So when Saul takes off his armor and gives it to David, it's not just to protect him in battle. He's abdicating. He's giving up his responsibility to a boy out of nowhere with no experience in war. 
Saul, what are you doing, bro? See, because Saul hasn't done the work. Saul doesn't remember. He doesn't have the memory. He's not as close to God as David is. I'm going to ask you again, do you have a memory of God's good work in your life? Do you have a memory of God's work in this world, in this city? Have you collected a spiritual journal of what God has done? Do you keep track? When I was a pastoral intern, learning how to, learning the art, not the science of being a pastor, because it's, it's, it's largely an art, we're not professionals. When I was learning how to be a pastor, when I was in seminary, you get assigned to a pastor, and, and you stay with that pastor. Whatever that pastor does, you learn. One year, I was with a pastor named Brigham Lee. And on Thursdays, Brigham Lee would go visit people in the hospitals. We went to cancer wards, older people who were, who were never going to leave the hospital, possibly. And I, I remember just being physically just shaken by, by those days sitting by people's beds who were still remembering what God had done. One of the places we used to go was a place where individuals had had traumatic brain injuries and they didn't remember. When we sit down and read them the scriptures, they would always say, I remember that story, but I've forgotten. Some of you know the story. You know the stories, but you've forgotten. Some of you, the Bible was, I'm going to get on your couch right now, and, and I'm going for it. Just let me go. Some of you, your Bible is somewhere, and it's been collecting dust. The stories are there, and you're going through stuff. But you don't remember what God has done because you aren't opening it regularly. You aren't praying regularly. But you're out here, and you're going through things, and you think, I'm going through things, but I can't go there because you don't remember. That's why it's there. Remembering what God has done gives us faith in what God can do. Goliath is a very boastful person. That's what we can see in the scriptures. He's proud. Like, I, like the Bible says, he's been a warrior since his youth. This guy has been fighting since his youth. He's a descendant of warrior people that should have been killed in the past but weren't. He is undefeated. By the way, the story of Goliath is not an anomaly. I don't know if you know this. But in 2 Samuel 21 and in 1 Chronicles 20, a man named Alhanan also kills Goliath's brother. And Goliath's brother was even worse than Goliath. The Bible says, if you want to read it, go ahead and read it this evening. He has six fingers and six tools on each hand. And he was just as tall as Goliath. But he was killed by a man named Elhanan. You don't hear that story. Right? Goliath has everything. He has the armor. He has the armor bearer. He knows how to fight, and he is undefeated. He has more trust in the armor than he does in anything else. He has more trust in his height and in his ability to fight, but who wouldn't? If you're nine foot plus and no one's ever beaten you, you, you can say whatever you want. 
When I was six years old, there was a kid in my neighborhood named Morris. I remember because Morris, his house was on the way to the soccer field. And Morris was just me. Every time I, I love soccer. So every time I had to get to the soccer field, I had to go through Morris's yard. And you know what he did? He beat me up almost every time for no reason. He would just, he would just grab me. I remember he'd put me in a headlock. I remember. And he would stuff me with sand in my mouth. Ten years ago, I'm six foot. I growing, you know, I got some good American milk in me. So I went back home. And one of the questions I asked is, where is Morris? <laughs> where is that dude now? Right? Couldn't find him. <laughs> Many of us here today are facing what seems like Goliath. I'm not sure what the Goliath is in your life. You know what it is. For you, you can't, you can't seem to you can't seem to see past it. Some of us here are struggling. We, we don't even know what 2023 is gonna look like, right? The problem in your life is so big, you don't know where to start. You need a champion. You need somebody to go for you. You need somebody to take your place and face the giant. You're not feeling it right now. You're not feeling it, but see, you need. Someone who remembers to step in your place. For many African Americans in this country in the 1800s, they faced a Goliath that they couldn't shake. The Goliath was slavery, right? Their lack of freedom was something that they couldn't get past. Many were afraid to run from the plantations. Because if you ran from a plantation and you were caught, your Achilles were cut. So you couldn't walk, you couldn't run again. When you ran and you were caught, sometimes you were, you, you were beaten even more severely. Your family was sold. The consequences of capture was too much, too severe. So they stayed. And Goliath was bigger than they could ever imagine. The threats to their lives were too great. Until one woman, until one woman who was raised in the Methodist church, though she could not read or write, she memorized scripture. Until one woman had a memory of what God had done for his people in the past came onto the scene. Until one woman, a champion that remembered that God has done miracles in the past, and he could do miracles in the future, came onto the scene. One of the abolitionists said, who worked with her said this, I have never met with any person of color who had more confidence in the voice of God that the, that the voice of God has spoken directly to her soul. Harriet Tubman escaped slavery, ran, Despite the consequences, despite what she was facing, she faced that she faced the Goliath in her life. Despite the despite there was a bounty on her head, right? The, it, it, the bounty said it was three hundred dollars. In today's money, is ten thousand dollars. If she was caught, someone would have earned ten thousand dollars. But over a period of eleven years, she went back into slave territory and freed more than seventy people and directed many others to freedom. She'd simply prayed, the, the, the testimony says, 
Lord, I trust you. I don't know where to go, what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. She remembered. Harriet Tubman remembered what God had done, and it gave, us, it gave her faith in what God could do. She relied on a champion. If you're sitting here this morning, you're hearing her story, man, I got to be extra. I got to do more. I got to be something that I can't be. You don't have to be extra for God to use you. David, in this story, as some would say, man, he's a teenager. He's naive. He's ill-equipped. But he stepped before a giant on behalf of his nation. Why did David have so much courage? We'll go back to this question. Someone asked me that question the other day. Can you imagine what David's prayer life was like? What was his relationship with God like? That he felt he could step before a world-trained warrior, right? What was, what was his, uh, He's a teenager, folks. The Hebrew word for him, it, it, the Bible translates it in English as a boy, meaning he had never had kids. And people married young back then, so he was an extremely young man, right? He's a teenager. I just, I, if you put yourself in a story, can you imagine, like, he steps up to the king and said, I'm going to go. Will you take him seriously? And then when the word spread that Saul's going to actually let him go, hold up. (laughs) If you're in the background, the word is spreading. Like, who are we sending to fight Goliath? We're sending a teenager? Has he fought before? No. Does he have any weapons? No. Do you know where he's coming from? No. What does he do for a job? He's a shepherd. I'm sorry, what? My freedom rests on this teenager. The freedom of the people of God rests on him. Here's what God is trying to say. Nothing can stop me. I can use whoever I want, when I want, and they ain't have to have no weapons or nothing, Lord. They don't. David has the memory of God. He knows who has been there for him time and time again. He gives credit where credit is due. He has a record of God's faithfulness, a history of relying on God. Pick me up in verse 37. And David said, the Lord, this is David's memory. I want you to pick up the past tense in here. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine." He has delivered, and he will deliver. David recognizes a couple of things. The battle is not between him and Goliath. Okay? You don't have to make your battles between you and that thing. Right? You don't have to, you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to say, God, I need to fight this on my own. The battle is between Goliath and God. God fight, God, David brings God into the battle, right? Goliath has defied God's people. And God does not like anyone messing with his people. He will send a champion to defend his people. God will send a champion for you. You don't have to fight the Goliath in your life on your own. You do not have to put on weapons of war that do not fit you because you can't be patient. David's secret 
It's actually not a secret. His strength is not in man. It's not, the, it's not in the sling and the stones. It is in the Lord of hosts whom Goliath has defied. When the enemy comes, just redirect him. Right? Not today. I'm just, you know, hey, Goliath on the phone. Can you hold on? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass you on to the Lord. <laughs> right? <laughs> when, when, amen. When, when somebody calls, when that trouble calls, you know what? Hang on a second. I got somebody. Not even the manager. You're like, hold on. I got the Lord. He's on the other line. You can, you can take your troubles up with him. I want to challenge you this morning to give, to have a great memory when it comes to the things that God has done. This week as I was preparing, I pulled out journals that I had from 2004, 2005. It was a stack of them, and, and, and I was reading through them and looking at some of the prayers that God had answered. And I almost started crying because the things that seemed like Goliath in my life when I was in my 20s that God had done that I couldn't believe he would do. And he had settled. He answered prayers. And the prayers that he didn't answer were all for my benefit. But I couldn't see it then. I wanted to stay there. The biggest prayer in my life, I always share this with you, I'll share it again. Was gathering the courage to forgive the man who killed my dad. That was a Goliath in my life from the time I was 12 to the time I was 30. I said I was a Christian, but it was one part of my life I didn't want. I didn't want God to own. A man took my father's life and made me an orphan at 11 years old. And I kept that. And I said, I'm going to find this man because he was my Goliath. And I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to find him. I'm going to challenge you this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. Let God be your champion. When we have a memory of what God has done, it gives us a great foundation. Even if you haven't been there before, you can say the battle God is yours and not mine. When your daily routine, day in and day out, is with the Lord, you're reading, you're praying, you're trusting, you see the Lord slay giants that you don't think are possible. You develop a spiritual humility that is ready to face the giants of life. Remembering what God has done gives us faith in what God can do. This story is both a reminder and a forecaster, right? Because this isn't the last time the people of God would need a champion to fight on their behalf. This isn't the last time the children of God, those who call God Father, would need someone to fight on their behalf when they are facing certain death. The beauty of this story is not that Ultimately, the teenager faced the giant and the teenager faced the giant and defeated him with a sling and a stone. It is about how God will always fight our battles. It is about the fact that God has an unexpected savior who is to come, who is like David, who was born in Bethlehem, who is like David, who was commissioned in secret, who is like David, who was anticipated, who is like David and volunteered or gave his life so that we may live. We may live. The beauty of this story is like David, it, that God is sending a warrior, forecasting a warrior that we, we can trust in, we can put our faith in, who will stand between certain, certain death and slay for us the giants. The story ultimately isn't about needing for us to be David. 
is about needing to surrender and allow our great champion to fight the battles for us because we don't have the armor to fight the battle. In this life, we'll come up against things, like I said before, some people, some people in our lives will seem like Goliaths. You can sit there and hope for a Hollywood ending, or you can place your hope in God of, in the God of heaven and earth who makes every single thing new. The one who time again, time and time again, has proven reliable. This morning, I'm calling you to do something. I'm challenging you to do something great. I'm challenging you to do something that perhaps you've perhaps never done. I need you. I urge you. I'm pleading with you to keep track of your prayers, to keep track of answered prayers. So when someone is going through something, you can be, you can have something in you to express the gift of them. Because sometimes when you, if you aren't reading the word, you're just giving people random advice. Because you ain't been in the trenches. You haven't recorded what God is doing, what God has done. Pray about everything the Bible says, and then record it because God wants you to remember. A lot of you sitting in here, God has done miraculous things. I've seen, I've sat in coffee shops with you, and you, you, I know some of your testimonies, and they're powerful. To see what God does with your faith as you record what he has done. You will grow more than you ever imagined when you start keeping track of what God is doing. Jesus is our champion, our unexpected leader who fights the battles. He counsels us in grieving. He comforts the afraid. He gives courage to the weak and victory to the obedient. I want you to leave here today with this memory as I close. Let me remind you what the Bible says, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We are and were all steeped in our own sin guilty of living contrary to what God has ordained for us. Our destiny was an eternity apart from God. But God, being a just and merciful God, sent his son to take on our sin, to be sin so we could be justified and sanctified in the presence of a holy God. Because of God's son Jesus' sacrifice, we can face the greatest giant, the greatest giant, death, and have the confidence that our champion has defeated our greatest foe. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that your greatest foe has been defeated. What I'm trying to get past you right now is some of you are in the trenches. And you can't look anywhere. You can't even see the sky. You're, you're, whatever you're going through, God will meet you where you are, and he will bring you out. One songwriter says it this way. He writes it this way. I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to read these lyrics. I want you to hear me. I don't want people leaving out here <laughs> because when I start singing. Songwriter writes this way. We sing this song all the time, but I want you, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes so you can hear this. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathe your life in. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights this found. It leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. 
Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Remembering what God has done gives us faith in what God can do. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray that faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. I pray that this word is cemented in someone's heart here this morning, that you are a loving God who has fought our battles and will continue to fight our battles and has conquered our greatest foe. In Jesus' name, amen.